0: Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it there's an email that's listed below and if you send us an email and just tell us how god's word has changed your life it would bless us tremendously also would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting god's word all over the world you can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the giving tab anything helps and we appreciate it god bless all right are you guys ready to get in god's word Because we are going to continue our series, Spiritual Grit, in the book of 1 Peter. And today we're looking at verses 12 through 19. If you're new here to New Heights Church, we're glad to have you. What we do here is we preach the Bible. Unapologetically, we preach the Bible. That means we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we give God the authority in this church, and we allow Him to speak to you through His Word. He does much better speaking to you than I could, and so we give God a moment of a, to have His authority, and so we'll literally gear our entire service around His Word. So this is something deep in the character of New Heights Church. And I'm I'm the first to tell you that I'm not the greatest preacher. But every week I humbly ask God for the gifts of wisdom, discipline, and humility that are necessary to deliver his message to his people and to a needy world. Because I know that Jesus meets his people in and through his word and that the work of God's word never comes back empty. The Bible is what we're studying today. It's what we're going to study next week and the following week and the following week. In fact, it's what we study every Sunday. So the Bible is the book that God wrote. And if you want a word from God, you need to open the word of God. Amen. So essentially, this is how God has chosen to speak to us. And it comes to, comes to us through the scriptures. And unlike popular opinion, and hear me out here, this book is for you. The Bible is for you. It is for me, but it's not primarily about you or me. Okay? You need to understand that. The book is about Jesus. It's for you. It's for me, but it is about Jesus. The end goal of our preaching here at New Heights Church is that we look at the life of Jesus, and then we make application. In other words, we look at our life, and we start thinking about what it means to follow Jesus his footsteps as a Christian or a follower of Jesus. And so we come to a text today that is difficult for a lot of believers. In fact, we don't like to ever talk about suffering. And the book of 1 Peter is all about suffering. It's, it's something that Christians do not like to talk about. F.R. Maltby once made this observation. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. Are you ready? Here's the three things that Jesus promised his disciples. They would be absurdly happy completely fearless and in constant trouble. Crazy to think that we can be happy and fearless while we're in the midst of persecution, right? (laughs) Yet that's exactly what Jesus has promised. Every life, no matter who you are, no matter what your last name is, no matter how much you make, no matter what neighborhood or what country you come from, you can expect to suffer if you have said yes to Jesus. Even the Son of God, who was sinless, came into the world and he suffered. God God has only one Son without sin, but he has none without sorrow. I love that statement. God has only one Son without sin, but he has none without sorrow. Every life will experience difficulties. Every Christian will experience suffering. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, Peter's writing to strengthen the believers who are experiencing suffering. Actually, Peter's going to call it a fiery trial, a persecution from an unbelieving world. So the context is suffering as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And there's several statements that make it clear that we can be God's people and we can suffer. So if you're inclined to think that this promise only applies to the sufferings of persecution, not the suffering of everyday life, you need to consider this. If, if you receive the suffering of an illness as a Christian, a sickness, a disease, if you receive it in the name of Jesus, you receive it in the name of Christ and resolve to honor him in it and not bring reproach on his name, how is this suffering essentially different? See, I'm not going to get away from the context today. I'll be the first to tell you the context of our passage is suffering simply for saying yes to Jesus. But the principle applies to our life in general. No matter what difficulty we face, if we take on that difficulty with the attitude that I'm going to glorify God, then the same principle applies, okay? Amen? So if you take on your suffering with the prayer and the goal of giving Jesus all the glory, whether it's persecution for saying yes to Jesus or whether it's sickness, you're going to be suffering as a Christian, and this promise is going to be true for you. Peter's writing to per persecuted Christians, but these principles, they're important for us. And in any kind of suffering, we, we go through difficult times. I, I, I went through a difficult... I watched my father battle a brain tumor for nine years only to die after a nine-year battle of that battling that brain tumor. I watched my father, a Pentecostal minister, lay hands on sick people and I experienced miracles. I experienced the supernatural power of God. And yet for nine years, we prayed that my dad's brain tumor would be healed and it, it, he never received his healing. Well, he did. <laughs> He's received his healing. He's in the presence of the Jesus he loved. But you and I, just because we say yes to Jesus, we're not excluded from pain or sorrow. In fact, our cars break down. Our HVAC systems, they go out, and they're expensive. I can tell you that. Our dogs poop on new carpet, just like those that don't follow Jesus. My dog did it this morning. God's people, even they suffer pain and sorrow. He never promised a life without pain, never said it would be smooth sailing. In fact, he said life is going to be full of bumps. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says the bumps are what you climb on and you get closer to God. Isn't that good? So think about that. Depression, sickness, frustration, disappointment, loneliness. These are bumps you can climb on to get closer to God. I want to draw from our text today three instructions that Peter gives us in in difficult times things to remember to do in your attitude when you're facing difficult circumstances and situations. So when you hit that bump, you need to do number one. We see this in verses 12 through 14. If you're writing notes, you need to focus on God's promises. You need to focus on God's promises. Look with me at verse 12. Beloved, that's a very good word. We'll get to it in a little bit. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. That is powerful. Listen, two responses when sorrow or adversity comes into our life, usually. Number one, God doesn't love us. That's a response. I get that a lot. I I can't tell you how many times I'll have somebody who's going through a difficult time ask me, what have I done to God to deserve this? Why does God not like me? Why is he allowing this? So, number one, God doesn't love us. Or number two, man, this is so strange. Why is this happening? I've done everything right. Why would this happen? That happens to believers too. I I asked that question at 13 years old when my dad was diagnosed with his brain tumor. Why? Why? Why, God? This this is a man who gave up everything for you. He gave up a prestigious law career to go plant a home missions church. He gave up an incredible salary to have to work 60 hours a week and barely make it. Why? Of all the people, why? Why would you allow this to happen? So Peter opens up verse 12. He's going to answer those two complexities or those two problems that we usually have when we face difficult times. We need to focus on the word beloved, though. Look at the word beloved. It's a great word. How many of you have certain nicknames for those that you love? Be honest. <laughs> my wife calls me Cielo. Cielo. I can't even, I'm horrible with Spanish. She tells me it means darling. I probably should Google it. <laughs> well, that's what she tells me. That's my nickname. That's what Liz calls me. My mom and dad called me their little fella. I was always, and unfortunately, I'm still my mom's little fella. It doesn't matter who I'm around, I could be around my colleagues and my mom will come and say, how's my little fella? Mom, if you're watching, call me Justin. <laughs> but they've got, they've got nicknames. My brother had a nickname for me too. He had quite a few, Stumpy, Mini Wheat, Small Fry. Oh, I love those. Thank you, Jordan. But that was, those were better than my sister's nickname. She called me a pill. <laughs> Most of my life, I was just a pill to my older sister. My grandma called me her little farmer. That was my nickname. It was a term of endearment. That's love, right? My grandma would look at me and have a deep affection, great love, great devotion, great appreciation, great delight. And that's all fits in the language of what it means to be beloved. Peter addresses his readers as beloved. What he's going to do is he's going to first and foremost say this, that Jesus Christ is beloved. You know Peter writes two letters, first and second Peter. We're in the book of first Peter and we're about to start the book of second Peter. We're getting close and we will finish, I promise. And he uses this word beloved about 8 times. He uses it in second Peter chapter 1 verse 17 for Jesus. Peter's retelling a very significant moment in the life of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus getting baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan. Jesus comes up out of the water, and, and it says that here is the Son of God coming out of the water. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and God, the Father, speaks from heaven. And this is what God said when that happened. This is my beloved Son. The Father looked from heaven at God, the Son, and said, that's my beloved So, Jesus is beloved, and I hope you see where I'm going with this. Jesus is God's beloved, and you, if you're a Christian, you are beloved like Jesus. Now, that truth should be able to get you through anything. You are his beloved. But guess what? Jesus, who was the beloved, here's where it gets tricky. Jesus, who was the beloved, the the one and the only son of God, went through some very difficult circumstances. In fact, if you really looked at the life of Jesus, the stuff he went through would probably get you asking, man, is he really that beloved? He went through a lot. I mean, goodness, God, God sure allowed him to go through the ringer. He was hated. He was used. He was abused. His friends abandoned him. Judas betrays him. He's falsely accused and falsely tried, and he's murdered for a crime he didn't commit. If living an easy, smooth sailing life without any bumps in the road is God loving us, then it would appear that Jesus was not loved. But the truth is, he was. Jesus was God's beloved. And you are loved too, even when it doesn't feel like you're being loved. You are loved. Know this today. People might have names for you. God has one, too, and it's beloved. You are God's beloved. Know that today. I've always appreciated that about this section on suffering, and it's one unit on suffering, just so you know. I've always appreciated that it opens up with that word, beloved. I've always appreciated it. God reminds you that he loves you. So never, ever doubt the love of God, no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what you hear, no matter what circumstance surround your life, God loves you and his love won't change and you need to rest in that. But then he says something else. So he calls you his beloved. That's very important. But then he says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised can't believe this happened to me. I go to church every week. I'm a regular tither. I give to missions. I'm spiritual. Why did this happen to me? Peter's saying, don't be surprised. Some of your translations say this. Don't think it's strange. In fact, in the original Greek, it means foreign. Okay, sometimes, sometimes we'll look at foreigners as strange because they have different cultures and customs, right? We think it's strange. Now, I was a foreigner for 10 years living overseas, and I got a lot of strange looks. People thought I was, I was strange. People thought the way I eat was, or what I would eat was strange. And I thought what they would eat is strange. Different cultures and different customs. So sometimes we would look at a foreigner as strange. So Peter is saying literally, don't think it foreign. What he's trying to say is, is it's a part of the Christian life to suffer. If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. That's, that's normal Christianity. We suffer like everybody else and don't freak out. Some translations will say this, don't think it alien. Get that idea out of your head that you will not experience suffering and persecution. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, and it doesn't mean that God's not in control. I want you to focus on another word here at the end of verse 12, happening. You see that? Happening. Look with me again. Do not be surprised at the fiery. Now, notice a fiery trial. It's intended to purify them to make them better. He's saying, don't be surprised by a fiery trial that when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's another important word. Happening means to go together. In other words, it didn't just happen to you. It was not an accident that you are facing what you're facing. Things don't just happen to us. They are planned for us. I'm going to say that again. That's a hard pill to swallow when you're really going through it. But you need to know this. Things don't just happen to us. They are planned for us. I believe in God's providential care, and I believe that God, in his love, will allow something to come into our lives that we think is bad, but God intends it for good. Romans 8 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? You remember Joseph? Man, if anybody, Joseph does everything right. As a little kid, I always struggled with the story. He ran away from Potter's wife. He did what was right, and he, and he gets in trouble still. He goes through all of these things, all of these trials. And do you remember what he said to his brothers? You meant it for evil. To the brothers that sold him as a slave, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. God doesn't just let things happen to you, that loss, that person who came against you. I'm not saying that everything bad is from God, but I'm saying that God allows it. Remember and rest. In the face of difficulties, remember and rest in this, that God had to allow it. God allowed it in your life. J. Oswald Sanders says this, Every adverse experience, when rightly received, can carry its quota of good. That's good. <laughs> you can't change the future. Some of you aren't going to be able to change your circumstance and the situation you're facing. You can't change the future, but you can know the God who will change you so that you can endure the future. And you know what that's going to do for you when you can do that? It's going to allow you to do what verse 13 says. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Hmm. He says, when you do suffer, rejoice and be glad and glorify God. You have jurisdiction and dominion over your emotions and your will. Think about the words of Jesus when he says, love your enemies. Well, first, before we go there, rejoice and be glad. That's your emotions. Glorify God. That's your will. Okay. So Peter's saying, rejoice and be glad. That's your emotions. And then he says, glorify God. That's your will. Now, to bring you perspective, I think about the words of Jesus when he, when he says, love your enemies. Because I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to do that. I never feel like loving my... Never. Never do I wake up in the morning and say, man, I want to love those people that just hate me. I want to love the haters on Facebook. I want to love those that troll me. I want to just love those critics. I want to love the people that say things that aren't true about me. I don't wake up in the morning and get excited about that. I don't. Okay? But... But here's the truth. I have dominion. I have jurisdiction, God-given authority over my emotions, and so do you. You can choose to rejoice and be glad, not ignoring your circumstances. I'm not telling you to, to ignore reality. I'm telling you to find the power of God, the presence of God in your circumstances. That's what I'm telling you to do. Peter says rejoice. That's your will, making decisions that honor him. I've heard the analogy to think about it like sailing. Your emotions are like a sail. It's pretty powerful if you think about it, right? Many of you, you're, you're very emotional, but, but you're not very well directed. You're not, you're not necessarily wise. So think about a sailboat with no rudder. I've been on many boats in my lifetime, and I'm going to be honest, I would be terrified if it didn't have a rudder. So many things that you have to avoid, and that's what a rudder does, right? But a boat without a rudder, it's, it's doing what? It's headed for destruction. You can't put a boat out in the ocean with no rudder. When you're feeling the strongest emotions, you need to be exercising the most God-directed decision-making. That's not what we do, though. When, usually when we're feeling the strongest emotions, we want to go talk to somebody about it. We want to get on Facebook and post about it because right, it's therapeutic, it makes us feel better. Hmm? But when you're feeling the strongest emotions, you need to be exercising the most God-directed decision-making. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Will. Now, this shows us Jesus' emotional disposition was joy. That's part of the fruit of the spirit: joy. that Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God and He had joy. Now understand this: there's a huge difference between joy in your life and enjoying life. And I want to preach. Are you ready? This preached to me this week. There's a huge difference between joy in your life and enjoying your life. You don't have to enjoy your life to have joy in your life because your joy is in the Lord. It's not in your life. Do you hear me? Your joy is in the Lord. It's not in your life. So the joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't say that the joy of your life is or that the joy of your life is your strength. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus had joy amidst some Incredibly difficult situations and circumstances. Jesus went through the ringer, and yet he had joy. Jesus didn't have joy in his suffering, but there was joy through his suffering. Okay, listen, you know why? Jesus knew that what was waiting at the end of his suffering, he knew what was waiting. God the Father would be glorified, and you would become his beloved. That's why he went through the suffering. Winston Churchill says this when you're in hell, keep going. You've got to go through it to get to the blessing. Pretty sure Rodney Atkins, a country singer, wrote something like that one time. I do like country. Peter's (laughs) telling you that you can have joy, not in your circumstances, but in what God will do through your circumstances. And you know what's going to get you through it? Look at verse 14 with me. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our suffering, you know what it does? Our suffering brings us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we suffer, we have a special dose of the Holy Spirit that comes upon believers. And I understand I'm preaching to a Pentecostal church, and I believe in the doctrines of the assemblies of God. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one thing that will often break my heart as we focus so much on that and we focus so much on a physical sign that someone's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I look at passages like this where we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and where Peter is literally saying, when you go through difficult times, you're inviting the ministry of the Holy Spirit into your life. He's going to come on you and make you strong. I mean, we as a movement want to focus on physical signs. Here it is. You want to know what the sign of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Perseverance. Rejoicing in difficult times. That's a sign. I mean, this is what Peter's saying here. This is a physical sign. You want to you know how you can really know that somebody believes in Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit? They are going to wake up every day and rejoice. They're going to give honor to God through whatever, no matter what comes their way. When we suffer, God sends his Holy Spirit to give you his special endowment and power and presence in your life. That is amazing. That's Pentecost. Come on. You think of of people like Stephen. Think of the story of Stephen in the Bible, first to be murdered. He was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And as the stones were hurled at him, the Bible says that those who looked on on and saw the face of Stephen and it radiated like that of an angel because the Holy Spirit came upon Stephen. He was called to be a martyr and God gave him the Holy Spirit. Whatever you are facing, know that it is God ordained. He's allowed it. He has a plan and a purpose for you, and he will send his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you strength to endure whatever you are going through. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I love, I love the story of Corrie Ten Boom, who died in 1983. She was a Dutch Christian and she helped Jewish people escape Nazi Germany during the war. And she herself, she was even in prison at the age of 52. She had the same question as a little girl. She, she had whether she would be able to suffer without portraying Jesus. She told her father one day, she said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus. Her father said, well, tell me, when you take a trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when, I, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Do I give it to you three weeks before? She said, no, daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. He said, that's right. And so it is with God's strength. Our wise father in heaven knows when you are going to need things too. Today, you do not need the strength to be a martyr, but as soon as you are called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will surely supply the strength you need just in time. Here's what she said at a conference she spoke at. I took great comfort in my father's advice because later I had to suffer for Jesus in a Nazi concentration camp, and he indeed gave me all the courage and the power I needed. So when you're going through it, you need a focus on his promise. If you are going through it today, you need a focus on his promise. Number one, he never promised a life without bumps, but he did promise his power through his Holy Spirit. Okay, focus on that. Focus on the fact that you are beloved, that God loves you. But you also need to focus on God's parameters. We see this in verses 15 through 16. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's a really important word we're going to get into in a little bit. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that, in that name. Now, here's what Peter's saying. When you experience suffering in your life, you want to examine your suffering. Okay? Okay. This is a very important point that Peter makes. He's telling his readers to make sure they're suffering for the right reason. You say, I know I'm suffering for Jesus. Peter's saying, well, make sure sure that's why you are suffering. Make sure Jesus is why you are suffering because there's a right reason and a wrong reason to suffer. Do you remember what scripture teaches about our suffering? Here's right reasons. The Bible's not quiet on this topic. Why does the world persecute Christians? Well, they persecute Christians because of righteousness. All right, Matthew five ten. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're, we're persecuted because of righteousness. Number two, we're persecuted because of the name of Jesus. John fifteen twenty one says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. All right, we're persecuted because of the name of Jesus. And, and number three, we're persecuted because of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Okay, one more. I'm going to add one more. And this persecution, you know where it comes from? Lost people. Persecution should not come from the church. It does sometimes, but it should not. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Persecution should be coming from a lost world. People who do, do not know Jesus. Because if you look at John 16, verses 1 through 3, it says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things. Here's why. Because they have not known the Father nor me persecution should not take place in the church. It's a sign of someone who does not know Jesus. Peter says here, make sure the reason you're suffering is for the right reason. Make sure you're not suffering as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Now let's stop for a minute because most of you are saying, "Woo, it's not me. I've never murdered somebody. I'm not a thief. I don't do those things. We all know murder's bad, okay? Murderers go to prison, right? We know stealing's bad. They, they get in trouble too. They go to jail. We, we know that someone who's an evildoer, just so you know in the Greek, that's someone who breaks the law. We know that they're going to get in trouble. And I, if you speed, you're going to get a ticket. All right? That's a... That's someone who's an evildoer, just someone who's breaking the law. We know that they're going to get in trouble. They might have probation. Their license might be taken away. But, But troublesome meddler? Hmm, what is that? That's a busybody. Busybody means sticking your nose in things you shouldn't. Getting involved in other people's affairs that are none of your business. Man, this one hits home. For me, at least. Peter's saying, mind your own business. If you're being persecuted for not minding your own business, guess what? That's not righteousness. You keep sticking your nose into everything, you'll be, you will bring persecution into your life and it ain't good. We must make sure we're suffering for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. Do not expect to fulfill God's purpose in your life if you're doing these things, do not expect to receive God's peace in the midst of it. Do not expect God to give you the grace to endure it, and don't expect God to be glorified in it. If you're doing anything on this list, you're you're suffering for the wrong reason. So, if you're suffering, make sure it's for the right reason. New Heights Church, when you are suffering, here here it is. Here's the big point Peter's going to say in these verses: Don't sin. New Heights Church, if you are suffering, don't be sinning, because sometimes when we're suffering, we're selfish people. In other words, we think, man, I've been through so much. I've heard so much. I've endured so much. So really, I have a right to rebel a little bit, a right to get angry with God. I have a right to maybe do this or do that. It's a demonic deception because it leads to self-destruction. I've never seen anybody who rebelled against God and it benefited them because the anointing, hear me out, the anointing of God is only on those who obey God, not those who disobey God. God cannot bless evil. He will not bless evil. And then again in verse 16, Peter says, if you're suffering for the right reason... He says, "Don't be ashamed." So, if you're suffering for the wrong reason, you you got some stuff you got to work through. But if you're suffering for the right reason, he tells you, "Don't be ashamed." Jesus wasn't ashamed of you, and you shouldn't be ashamed of him. Do you want to know one way we bring shame to Jesus? We start playing editor with the Bible. The Bible doesn't need an editor. You know, there's some parts of the Bible that everybody else finds offensive, so I'm just going to keep quiet on those parts. As preachers, we bring shame to Jesus when we don't want to touch those topics. We don't want to upset people. We would rather be the pastor that everybody loves. Why? Because I'm not going to get a book deal if nobody likes me. (laughs) Truth is, I can't even write. (laughs) But I want everybody to like me. I want to be that pastor that everybody, I don't want to touch those topics. I don't want to upset people. When we take that approach, we hide our Christianity and we make it a private matter and not a public matter. Here's the problem with that. Our faith is not private, it's public. Our life, our marriage, our family, our prayers are all based on what? The Word of God. And that is very much public. It's not private. It's not just that Jesus is in my heart, but Jesus rules over all of my life. Has to be a public thing. Don't be ashamed when your name is getting ran through the mud. When you're experiencing pain and anguish, you're going to get very emotional, right? But Peter's telling you to rejoice, be glad in it, find God in the midst of it, then choose by the decision of your will to glorify God, to do what's right in His sight. Okay, if you are if you are experiencing persecution because you have stood up for the gospel, and I am telling you, look, I am not encouraging you to go out and nitpick people. I am not telling you to do that. Don't. I am telling you that you don't have to be ashamed to talk about Jesus. You don't have to be ashamed to defend your right to follow Him. You don't have to be ashamed of your right to def, to deny a certain privilege or does deny whatever the world's offering it. You don't have to be ashamed of saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to partake in that. I'm not going to go down that road. You don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to be ashamed of being pro-life. We don't have to be ashamed of saying we believe marriage is the way that God designed it and how he says it in his word, that it's between a man and a woman. We don't have to be ashamed of those things. That doesn't mean we take it and beat it over the head of our neighbor either. Okay. It doesn't mean we don't walk in kindness and graciousness and gentleness, but we don't have to be ashamed for being people who live according to this word. We don't have to be ashamed of it. I want to make it real clear. You only have two options in life. You can be a believer and a child of God, or you can be a child of the devil. Whether you like it or not, you're in a war. I mean, you don't get the choice. You're in it. If you choose Jesus, then you're going to encounter suffering. You're going to encounter persecution. If you choose to deny Jesus, then you're going to experience God's wrath. So the question is are you going to have a problem with God and encounter suffering and persecution temporarily so that you can experience eternity with God? Or are you going to give in now and ex- experience maybe some ease, maybe some comfort for, for a while temporarily? but then face the wrath of God. Those are God's parameters. Peter says, focus on God's promises, focus on his parameters. And now in verse 17 through 19, he's going to tell us focus on God's future plan. Look with me at verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, it will become of the, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This right here is a missionary verse. It is. We're reminded that everything we do in the world should be motivated by God's mission. Look it with me. For it is time for judgment to begin. In what? In where? Where's judgment beginning? In the household of God. Here's a truth bomb for you. You ready? God expects Christians to have behavior that is different than non-Christians. Isn't that something? If you have the Spirit of God. God expects more out of you than He does the one who does not have the Spirit because He doesn't know Jesus. Doesn't matter how your unsaved, what your unfriend saves. Blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter what your unsaved friends are doing. Got it. Doesn't matter how the world does things, that isn't you. How many of you guys have kids, and have you, you, you've heard this before, I hate this statement. Well, so-and-so's parents let them do it. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I'd be a millionaire. So-and-so's parents let them do it. So-and-so's parents let them watch that TV show. So-and-so's parents let them have a cell phone. I'm the only one in my class that doesn't have one. I'm the only one in my class that's not allowed to see that movie. Well, guess what? You ain't so-and-so's kids. You're my kids. You live under my roof, and you live under my rules, and your last name is Hanson, and we do things different. This is how we do it in that Hanson household. We're different from the world. When we we suffer, we experience glory and know that we will have a greater glory in the future. But a sinner who causes that suffering, he's just filling up the measure of God's wrath more and more and more. He's building upon the previous verse here. That's what he's doing. He's he's trying to get you to look to the future, look to God's promise, look to his future plan. And he finishes on this note, and I love that he finishes on this note. He told us to focus on God's promises. He's told us to focus on God's parameters, and now he ends by telling us that the key to making it through suffering is to take the focus off ourselves. Ouch. That's hard to do. Once I had a pastor tell me in the deepest, darkest hour of my life, you need to serve other people. Do you know how mad I was at him? <laughs> it's a youth pastor I grew up with. He had a voice in my life, but I came to him, and I was mad, and I was angry about some of the things going on in my life, and I thought for sure he was going to say something different than that. He said, you know what you need to do, Justin? Serve other people. No, wait a minute. Did you just not hear what I said? Did you just not hear all the things I'm going through? And you're going to tell me to serve other people. He said, you got to take the focus off yourself. And the best way to do that is to serve other people. Peter is drawing our attention to the lost world, not because he, he wants us to. Oh, we can't wait. They're going to get it. Oh, Jesus is going to come back and they're going to get it. That's not what Peter's doing here. Peter's trying to make you realize the reality of the situation is that you know Jesus. You're suffering. It's nothing. One day you're going to be with Jesus in the presence of Jesus. But think about these people who are coming after you and persecuting you. Think about what it's going to be like for them when they have to face Jesus and answer for their life. That should break your heart. It's a missionary verse. You want to get through suffering? Take the focus off yourself. Focus on serving people. Focus on fulfilling the mission of God when, when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Jesus, they're going to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That should break your heart. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says, and if, if anybody's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the Bible. Revelations 2015, we cannot say we believe the gospel and then do nothing about our neighbors who do not have a relationship with Jesus. All of us, regardless of our role in the body of Christ, have one thing in common. It is our responsibility to tell the people in our lives about Jesus. Passages like this should break our hearts. One of our core values is we stop at nothing to reach all people. Following Jesus means reassessing your talents, your resources, in light of the Great Commission, in light of that command that Jesus gives us to go into all the world and make disciples. New Heights Church, I want to challenge you to put the mission of God first in your life. That means everything you do is motivated by the mission of God. Even your career, your money, your spare time, everything is motivated by the mission of God. Now imagine if every Christian viewed their life that way. If every Christian said, God, I want a job in a place where you are doing something strategic. Place me wherever you want in the world so that I can do something strategic. One of the most powerful ministries I saw in the country of Thailand was from a businessman who had this prayer. I said, what brought you to Thailand? He said, God. I said, no, but really. He said, God, Pastor, God brought me to Thailand. You see, I made a promise. I'm a businessman. But I told God, I want to go where there's a need, where I can fulfill my work. I can do my line of work in a place where there's a need. When I heard that I could do what I do in Thailand, and I saw the statistics of people not knowing Jesus, I said, sign me up. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm telling you, he started... he was not a full-time minister. He was not getting paid for his ministry. He got paid for what he, what he did as his career. But he went to Thailand as a missionary and started one of the, the most amazing ministries I've ever witnessed. That kind of thinking, that should be for every believer. We need to re-examine our gifts and ask God ask God why God gave us our talents and our resources, and are we using them for the Great Commission? Follow me, that's what Jesus said in Luke 5, and I'm going to make you fishermen of men. He's not just talking to some of us. If you truly follow Jesus, then Jesus' commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is for you. It's for you. There's no such thing as a follower of Jesus not devoted to the mission of evangelism. A true disciple has totally surrendered to Jesus, embraced the great commission. It's their life. It motivates everything they do. Some of you think I'm stretching that verse, but I'm not. The Holy Spirit's behind every word written in this Bible. The Bible has somewhere close to 40, 40, 40 different authors. But but traditionally, only 35 are called out by name. But really, 40 different authors inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And right here, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is drawing your attention here in 2022 to the unsaved. Not so you can rejoice that they're going to be judged, but to remind you of where they are going if they do not accept Jesus as their savior. This is what it is all about. This is why Peter can finish with verse 19. Therefore, let whoever suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Some of you have been told that suffering is never in the will of God. God wants his children always to be healthy, always to be smiling, and always to go through life happy and healthy and prosperous, never to experience anything bad. If that's you, I don't know how you can read 1 Peter. You better rip this, this whole book out of your Bible, change your way of thinking. Let those who suffer according to God's will, what, they sh- what should they do? Entrust. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator. It's a banking term that means to deposit something for safekeeping. I'm going to deposit my trust. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I'm going to deposit my trust. And I know this is hard. I know this is painful. I don't get it. I want answers. They're not coming, but I'm going to deposit my trust in God's bank. That's the idea here. And here's the truth. Here's the kicker. When you deposit your trust in God's bank, you're going to get dividends a blessing in your account. He won't let anything you deposit go to waste. Every bit of trust you deposit is going to be rewarded. The degrees of suffering, the forms of affliction, whatever you're going through, they they differ for everybody, every one of us. But one thing we all have in common until Jesus comes is we all are going to die. You and I are going to face death one day if Jesus doesn't come. We're going to come to that awesome point of reckoning. If you have time, you're going to see your whole life played before you as you ponder, you think about whether it's been well spent. You're going to tremble at the unspeakable reality that in just moments you will face God and the destiny of your soul will be irrevocable. This is if you know death is coming. Sometimes death comes as a surprise. My question to you is, are you going to rejoice in that hour? Will you entrust your soul to a faithful creator today? He created your soul for his glory, his faithful to that glory and to all who love and live for it. Now is the time to show where your treasure is, in heaven or on earth. Now is the time with the glory of God to trust him and to keep on rejoicing. And if you focus on his promises, his parameters, and his future plans, God says you're going to make it no matter what you're going through today. Some of you are saying, this sounds really amazing. Worship team can start playing. This sounds really amazing, but practically, how can I do it? It's real simple. This is why we do next steps. This is why we do this. This isn't just for you to check some box. See, following Jesus, is can, there's a lot of practical steps. And we want you simply to make a decision today. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, here's how easy it is. If you want that, that promise of peace and you want to be able to focus on these three attitudes we talked about today, you, you need Jesus in your life. You need to accept Jesus. And all you have to do, it's not like you have to come up to the altar and it's not like I do something special. One, two, three, and then you got it. You just you, you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I'm sinful, and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to live for you. That's it. And at that moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes, and he lives inside of you, and he draws you to his word, and he draws you in a closer relationship with Jesus. You can experience a personal relationship with Jesus. If you need to do that, we want you to check this, not so we can add a number to Springfield, where headquarters of the Assemblies of God is, We want to do that so we can come alongside you in this journey. We can pray with you and we can help you and we can get you the resources we need. Because just like the long said, we are not meant to do life alone. You need us just as much as we need you. That's what community is. But you know, another way is to say, because so many times the church has become a spectator sport and our church will not be an institution. We will be a movement. And sometimes the best way to do that is we need people to sign up for the movement. You say, man, how do I do this? All all the things you talked about. I'm gonna encourage you today, sign sign up for a small group. Check this box. Go out there and sign up for a small group. Oh, Pastor Justin, what's a small group? It's the church. That's what a small group is. It's the church. It's community. there's different small groups. You need to be connected to each other, not just so you can get something out of it, but I promise you're going to get something out of a small group. I promise that there are people in this church who are more seasoned than you in their walk with the Lord, who could come alongside you and walk with you through some of your difficult times. They can pray with you and encourage you in your faith. You're going to be blessed, but I promise that there's somebody in this church who needs you to come alongside them and walk with them and pray with them and encourage them. That is what we're called to do. You want to know how to focus on on God's promises, his parameters, and his future plans. Sign up for a small group and get involved in the church. You are needed. You have a call on your life to do something greater than just bringing a paycheck and put food on the table. You have a purpose for your life. God has anointed you and called you for such a time as this, and you are needed. Father God, we love you and praise you and worship you. God, I lift up every single person who's come through these doors today, those who are watching on, on, online, those that have never made that decision to follow you. In just a moment, our altars are gonna be open. We're going to have prayer workers come. We're going to close and dismiss this service, but we are going to leave these altars open. If someone has not made that decision, I pray that today would be the day that they say yes to Jesus. It will be the best decision they've ever made. And I pray for those today that are sitting in their chair and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. They may have successful careers. They may have be in a really good spot in life, but there is something happening in their heart right now because the Holy Spirit is saying, I've called you to more. I have something for you at this church. I pray that they would say yes today too. Holy Spirit, show up in our church services, in our worship time, in our preaching, in our small groups when we gather together. Do a work in our hearts and break our hearts for the things that break yours. In Jesus' name, amen.